welcome to our next Lattice podcast episode. And as you all know, we like to work with athletes at all life stages. And one question that comes up time and time again from our community is the perimenopause and the menopause throughout in terms of what to look out for. How, how do you know when you're in that stage? What kind of symptoms you might experience through to how can you manage those and how should you approach your training and your climbing? Should it be any different to what you might have done in earlier life stages? So that's what we're going to focus on today. And we've got a guest speaker, Dr. Nikki Key, who I'm very excited to talk to. I first met Nikki when she was an expert guest speaker at a British Mountaineering Council event. Gosh, I think it was 2020, was it? It was a long time ago. It was definitely before pre-COVID, obviously. It so, was. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We pre, were in- yeah uh, BC, basically. <laughs> yeah. We were in person and that was organized by the BMC, but also in conjunction with our very own Mina, who is a nutritionist at Lattice. Um, so I've got to see you present there, Nikki, and you covered relative energy deficiency in sport with Rene McGregor, which was really well received and really important. And another topic, actually, we've already covered on this podcast. But just in terms of what I've done into digging about you, Nikki, and you can correct me if I've got it wrong. But in essence, my understanding is you're a medical doctor, you have 30 years of clinical experience, um, and you specialize in exercise endocrinology. You've got a massive job list in that you created a website, Health for Performance, which is excellent because that focuses on relative energy deficiency in sport in particular. A ton of resources in there, which is great for coaches and athletes. You're also a chief medical officer at Fourth With Life, and we can talk about that a little bit because I think that'll be relevant today in terms of the products um, they offer. And yeah, there's a whole host of other things you do as well in terms of your own sport. But I'll, I'll pass over to you to introduce yourself. Um, go for it. Yeah, well, listen, it's as you say, um, it makes me feel quite old, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been in medicine for some time, uh, but I've always loved sport, particularly for me, ballet. Um, and I've always been fascinated by hormones because these are these invisible uh, chemical messengers inside us. So that's how come I combine the two uh, in what I do and what I love. Um, and the challenge is putting that into context for individuals, of course. And so that's exactly, uh, that's what I do. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's why I'm really, any opportunity I have to do talk about this, um, I think it's so important that everybody men, women should have that information that they need about themselves so they can make the most appropriate choices for them as an individual, you know, depending on their age, etc. So um, personalized, uh, personalized medicine, basically. So yeah, I'm really excited to, to talk about this. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, no, absolute pleasure. And just for the benefit of those who are watching, where are you today? Um, I'm sitting at home in London, and it's absolutely chucking it down. <laughs> So if you hear strange noises in the background, um, that is because the rain is beating down, there's thunder, lightning, the whole thing. Um, and here I'm sitting in this room, which is actually our, um, well, it's actually a converted garage, but, um, it's at, but I'm going to actually say it's my studio. So it's my dance studio. I've got um, a wooden wall bar, wall-to-wall mirrors, a little bit of sprung wooden floor, very important. And yeah, in the background, I try and... Uh, the rest of my family are mad keen cyclists, so I try and put all, you know, the, the rule is that all the bikes get quarantined to the back 
of the room, but there are quite a few there, um, if you can see that. And yeah. actually, two of them are mine, so it's fair enough. Um, it is a shared. It is a shared space. <laughs> oh, I think it's awesome. So with climbers, we might have a similar kind of space a garage or a cellar. It's quite common in Sheffield, and yeah, well, in in our kitchen. Um, by the way, just in terms of climbing, I should mention um, that I, you know, have. I'm not a climber myself, but my um, my grandfather on my husband's side, he used to climb with Chris Bonington. That's amazing. And so, you know, we also in our family like climbing, not to the level that you, you guys listening to this are at, of course. And actually in our kitchen, we have just a very small little bit. Um, it, I wouldn't exactly call it, a, it's not a fingerboard, it's just like very small molded um, so you can do some pull-ups and, and, and stuff like this there. So I, we do have a little bit of climbing history oh. in, in our house as well, including my grandfather um, wearing old kit from like back in the 1950s uh, when they used to climb in Chamonix with just, you can imagine the, the equipment that has changed yeah. so much. He's just posing there looking like he's just on a walk on a day out and he's got a nice hack. And that, listen, there's a... There's a, a rope around his waist, but it looks very, very rudimentary. So, yeah, things have changed, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, risk management is a lot easier now. In yeah, yeah, thankfully, thankfully, yes. <laughs> um, oh, no, that's really cool. And I think with your mentioning of ballet, I think there's actually quite a lot of interesting crossover between ballet and climbing. They're both quite important in terms of strength to weight ratios and also in terms of flexibility and strength through range. Mm. Um, absolutely absolutely strength to weight absolutely flexibility yeah all those things proprioception awareness of where your body is in space are you you eye up a whole handhold and you have to calculate can i reach that what how much force do i need to put in to reach that so in, in ballet how much force do i need in to put in to do a double pirouette so you have yeah. to have that all sort of calculated uh don't you in, yeah. in your mind how you're going to approach that Absolutely. No, no, it is really interesting. I'll, uh, I'll move on because otherwise I could talk to you. I know, we could, we could, we could, couldn't we? Yeah. Um, so let's, for, for the benefit of our listeners and viewers, let's, let's start with some terminology. So, because there's a lot banded around, isn't there, in terms of perimenopause, menopause, and I think it would be good to start with, a, in your view, if, if somebody says perimenopause, what, what does that mean and, and, and when might it start? Mm. So um, menopause is the full stop. Uh, it actually comes from the Greek I looked up the other day. Um, it means menos is month and pausus is pause. So it's when your monthly cycles stop. That's the menopause. It's like the full stop in the sentence. Not the end of the book, I hasten to add, but just the full <laughs> stop in uh, yeah, Anyway, um, but um, in the lead up to that, uh, you know, it's not literally a full stop. It's not an overnight switch on off. So perimenopause refers to that transition to having reasonably regular cycles, to having no cycles. So there's an intermediate stage, and that's what, that's what we refer to as perimenopause. But the thing is, it's very... And what's really tricky about it is it's so variable. So it can be variable in duration. I mean, typically we say in the medical you know, world, old, uh, from 40 onwards, uh, if the ovaries start to get a little bit recalcitrant, um, but on the other hand, I see some women and they're, you know, we know that there are some women who are 48, 49, having totally regular periods and even getting pregnant. So it's very variable. And I think that's, that is where the confusion or the uncertainty lies. Okay. Because if you're a 42-year-old and you've got men perimenopause symptoms, which I know we're going to go on to discuss, 
Um, and then you look around and you see that your older friend, 48, hasn't got them. And you just wonder, oh, is there something wrong with me? Well, no, it's just that your own personal uh, biological, physiological clock has got a slightly different time scale. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that sums up what it is. Menopause is when your periods have stopped, full stop. Uh, and again, there's the strict definition is no periods for 12 months. Yeah. Menopause, average age 51, give or take a bit, either a couple of years either side of that. Anything from 45 up to 55, for example. So already there's a big range there. Yeah. So therefore, you can also appreciate that the perimenopause is going to be uh, quite variable when we're going to say this this starts but typically we're going to say the 40s okay yeah and in terms of is there any kind of do you know you might not Mm -hmm. any genetic influence so if you see how your family history is in terms of onset of symptoms of perimenopause is 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 there any connection there that we know of there is um i was looking at um this up the other day and there is some genetic links just as there is in age of menarche menarche is the other end of the scale when you're the age you start your period so um, you know, if your mother started her periods very late, then it could be that might influence you uh, when you start. And similarly for the menopause, uh, you know, if your old mother or grandmother had very early or late menopause, then that could have some bearing on the subject. But as with all these things, the genes are just there as the sort of the blueprint, but it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to translate through to what actually happens. They're just a predictor. It's just a predictor. So, yes, there is a genetic element um, to this, um, but, you know, it's not like, oh, well, that, that's a done deal. My mother yeah. reached the age of 50, 50 menopause when she was whatever, 51, so therefore absolutely I'm going to be 51. It just yeah. gives you a rough indicator. It's like um, predicting the height of your children. Yeah, yeah, you can work it out roughly on the parents' heights, but, you know, obviously it's not going to be exact because I've got two sons, for example, and they're slightly different heights. So you see what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah on the prediction, you would think, well, why wouldn't they have the same? So, so yes, there is some genetic influence, but like with all these things, don't take that as a guarantee that that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And I guess we should also say that this is for people who are, there's no like surgical intervention. There's nothing that's happened that meant that they've had an onset of menopause much earlier in life um, because of something that's not not through a natural sort of cessation of their menstrual cycle, which it, it can happen, can't well, it? Well, we do refer to surgical or medical induced menopause. Okay. So women, sadly, who have had to have um, their ovaries removed, maybe cancer, maybe whatever it is, um, then if you haven't got your ovaries, then yes, effectively, you're going to be in menopause. So there is the, the, the surgical medical cause of menopause. Yeah. But otherwise, when we say menopause, unless you specifically said it's medically induced, yeah. we assume that it is the um, natural physiological process. And I think that's important to stress. It's not a disease. It's not, uh, you know, something like this. It's a natural physiological process that happens. That's not to say, as we'll go on to discuss, that it's challenging. Um, but, uh, you know, but I want to reassure everyone that it is, it's, it's normal, it's natural. Yeah. Um, uh, and so that's really important to stress. Although having said all of that, if it's earlier, than uh, 45 years, then we do say that looks, we would call it uh, premature ovarian insufficiency. So you have to be aware that if actually it happens a little bit earlier than one would anticipate, then uh, yes, that needs to be uh, noted uh, swiftly and HRT as we go on to discuss. Yeah, yeah. 
And are there any ways, because we'll talk about um, Fourth of Life, but in terms of being able to predict when it might happen, are there any kind of tests that you can do at the moment which might give you, say if you're in your early 30s or mid 30s, a gauge as to when it might might be coming or is that does that not exist at the moment? Well, um, no, not really. And that's why we have developed this new thing. So um, the NICE guidelines actually say quite correctly that there's no point doing a one-off blood test for a woman in their 40s if you think she's got perimenopause because it's an intermittent fault. Um, the ovaries, you know, some months the ovaries will be fine, but other months they might be not. <laughs> so, so first of all, if you do a blood test, you might actually catch it at a good time. Or if the cycles have become irregular and you do a blood test and you get an unusual result, you don't know whether that is because you took it, because the timing, you know, what you're not sure of the timing. So basically it, it adds even more uncertainty. So that's why doing a one-off blood test and typically... In the medical world, we do tell women to do, a, if you are going to do a blood test for female hormones, we say do it on day three of your cycle, which is very yeah. early on, right? Yeah. Day three of your, of your bleed. And the reason for that is because then we have a fixed time. We know, yeah. fine, you're in, in, in the very early follicular phase, so we can say appropriately what the range is. So that's why we do it. But on the other hand, it gives quite limited information because all the hormones, if you're going to take a blood right. test, they are low. All, yeah, exactly. So unless you have absolutely certain menopause which actually you could argue you wouldn't need to do a blood test because your periods have stopped for a year that's why we're and this to date that's why women in their 40s have been in in a quandary am i in the perimenopause have i got reds is it something else is it my thyroid i don't know whatever it is is there something else going on um the honest answer is we don't know and even the symptoms the symptoms of perimenopause they're not unique to perimenopause i yeah. mean listen feeling fatigued feeling yep. brain fog it's like yeah listen <laughs> it happens to all of us you know so that's why it's such a um when I say tricky uh I, I would say uncertain unconfusing time for women in their 40s yep. because there isn't an answer to your question have I got perimenopause or not um the honest answer is we don't know yeah and I guess thinking about that in some ways it would be beneficial to be quite in tune with your body before you're getting an onset of symptoms anyway, because it sounds to me like it's a change in the norm. Yes, you're... exactly. So ideally, if you know, you know, if you do feel different or, or you have been, you know, logging your cycles, doesn't have to be complicated, by the way. I mean, I know I'm very old, but, you know, pen and paper, <laughs> uh, you know, that's actually pretty darn good. Um, it doesn't have to, you know, complicate it. But if you do notice that you're, and this is, of course, assuming that you're not on hormonal contraception, you've got regular cycles. So that also is anyway, um, yeah. you know, just making a note of that and making a note of, like you say, unusual symptoms. But actually, just to go back even further. Yeah, I think that the most important thing is information. So, you know, that the young women, I mean, part of the school curriculum is about puberty and everything. But actually, mm -hmm. it would seem logical that during that conversation at school, right, this is puberty, it would also be helpful to say, by the way, this is menopause. So it's like you, so at least you have heard of the word, you yeah. understand, you, it's in there in your consciousness. And then things like we're discussing now, um, you know, women in their 30s, just being aware that this, this will happen. Yeah, it happens to, you know, unless you have uh, been dealt uh, a surgical menopause, as we discussed, every woman will, will go through this. Yeah. So it's not so, you know, it's something 
it's helpful if you can anticipate it. It's like anything, if you can anticipate it or know what to look out for. But the other thing also you said was, is there a blood test you could do in your 30s to say, where am I? Um, and I think listeners will have heard of AMH, anti-mullerian hormone, which is used in fertility clinics to indicate egg, egg reserve. But yeah. it's only in that context, right? Okay. Because it can sometimes be mis misleading. There are conditions like PCOS where the AMH is really high, yet they are not ovulating. So this really, I know, I, I know I'm an endocrinologist, so I love my hormones, so I'm totally biased. I accept. But nevertheless, what you really want to know is what's happening in the hormones, what's happening in the network, rather okay. than this a one-off test as with all, because hormones are dynamic. So doing a one-off test, even if it's a really fancy test like AMH, yeah. actually it's going to give you just a snapshot. It's just like, oh, right then, that's what it was. Okay. And it can be confusing. It could be high, you've got PCOS, actually you're not that fertile, or it could be very low, a woman with reds, her ovaries are so-called being put in the freezer, rather I heard someone describe it, which I think was, so that's my only concern about stuff yeah. one might see out there or we can tell when you're it's like well i i can't see how that's happened so oh, that's I, really useful so yeah. that's why so with all this background that's why um you know we figured out a better way of doing it this and this is a, the female hormone mapping i think we're gonna yeah. um come on to that that's really if you really wanted in the ideal world how are you going to know are my hormones working as they sh as they should uh, then in the ideal world we'd have to do a blood test every day of your cycle yeah. because saliva you can only measure estrogen and progesterone yeah. urine you can only measure uh, lh and progesterone um there's not a great correlation with estrogen uh, metabolites and blood so so if we accept, look, it's got to be a blood test. I mean, no woman in their right mind would agree to have a blood test every day of the cycle. But oh, fortunately, I'm sure how this, that would work. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. So listen. So that's why we have developed a method of uh, using clever mathematical modelling and artificial intelligence that you only have to take a blood test actually two times in your cycle. And yeah. From that, we can say what your hormones are doing. Uh, over the cycle and that actually is really getting to the nitty gritty because when we yeah. talk about menstrual cycles and periods and things what we're really talking about is the external manifestations of what's happening to your hormones inside yeah Absolutely. in a dynamic way so yeah. that's why I'm pretty um, excited about that and um, I've had quite a few athletes including climbers do this and also particularly for this age group the perimenopause where if you go to your GP yeah. quite correctly the GP will say, no, I'm not going to do a blood test because it won't show us anything. Yeah. Um, and so you're often sent away wondering, well, I'm no, none the wiser. Yeah. So this is particularly for this age group. And I work with a lot of perimenopausal athletes who come and ask me, have I got reds? Have I got perimenopause? And up till now, I've not been able to give them a really good answer, which is okay. frustrating for me yeah. as well, apart from anything. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's um, so yeah, that's uh, pretty exciting. That's really interesting then, because I, I was going to touch on that actually. So maybe we should just talk about the sort of key common symptoms that you might notice mm -hmm. when you're perimenopausal, and then we can explore how different that might look to low energy availability. And I'm, mm. I'm guessing <laughs> yeah, they're going to be quite a crossover. Quite, yeah. Also, I mean, the first thing. I mean, by the way, I can also sort of. Um, declare my personal interest in this subject because um, I'm very old. I've been through this and I can tell you, I kind of ticked all the things on the list. So oh, wow. um, okay. I, will, I was sort of thinking back to how I felt. Yeah. 
Just, yeah, just like really tired, like unusually tired. I mean, if you're working hard and you go for a hard, I do a hard ballet class or I've just been for a hard swim, then yeah, sure, you would expect to feel tired, I know, but it's like unusual tiredness, just okay. really dragging yourself around. And also, you know, we use this word brain fog. It's like, yes. Okay. Um, you know, it's like you go in to go, it's the usual thing, you go to the fridge to get something out and it's like, what the hell am I doing here? So it's that, forget, I mean, we're all forgetful. Everybody is forgetful from time to time, but really frustrating where you just, your thoughts are just jumbled, you know, you just getting distracted. So it's just really annoying. Um, changeable mood was something that I found particularly difficult because normally okay. I'm quite a stable, you know, like uh, person, I would say, in mood wise, but then ridiculous things would either trigger me to shout at some my family or burst into a flood of tears and so my family were really confused they didn't know what was going on so it, it's it's that side which is concerning and then of course we have the hot flushes yep so again one expects to get hot if you're doing exercise but you know like literally you're just sitting there and minding your own business or you're just lying in bed just uh, uh, and then suddenly you get really hot and hot so that it disrupts your sleep and then well, if you don't have enough sleep the whole thing gets worse so those are the sum of uh, the key things, I think. Um, I mean, there's a whole list of other things. I suppose, listen, uh, we do also have to talk about vaginal dryness. Yeah. A tricky subject. But if your estrogen is low, then it's going to affect, um, you know, how often you urinate. So always wanting to go to the loo, especially in the night. You've already got a hot flush. You can't sleep properly. You see it's not good, right? Yeah. And vaginal dryness, um, I mean, you know, women do report uh, loss of libido, but I mean, it's a bit of a turn off anyway if it's just like uncomfortable. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So those sorts of things. So that's sort of the things that you might notice. And actually, those things, um, apart from the hot flushes, are going to be very similar to if you have reds. If you have reds, you're going to feel fatigued, right? Yeah. You're going to have low estrogen, so yeah. you might have vaginal dryness and all this stuff. Yeah. You're not going to get training effects, right, yeah. that you would anticipate. Yeah. So there's a big, so there is a big overlap. Um, yeah. You can't really distinguish. And if you just did, if you just tested estrogen and progesterone, in both cases, they would be low. Yeah, of course. So, the, but the key difference is why are they low? Is it low because of the control center? Yeah. The hypothalamus pituitary is switched, uh, down-regulated, as in that occurs in reds. Yeah. Have functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, FHA. Yeah. Or is it the ovaries that are being recalcitrant and awkward and, and whatever, right? And so for that, you have to measure FSH and LH, the control hormones. Yeah. And then you can distinguish between what's going on. Okay. So that's why it has to be a blood test because you can only measure all those four hormones in a blood test full stop. But then we have, and then the next practical practicality of it is like we said, when are you going to measure these? We can't measure it every day. So that's where um, maths comes to help us uh, so we can figure out and distinguish between these very similar, potentially similar presenting uh, symptoms. I mean, and it really matters because you want to know. Yeah. 
because then you want to know what to do right so yes it does matter it's like people might say well does it matter it's like yes if you're a woman (laughs) by the one way if you're a perimenopausal woman you'll definitely all be saying at this point yes it does matter I want to know yeah because it it is going to be a different different approach it affects your intervention doesn't it because exactly of course and and also your mindset you want to know one way or the other you just don't like this uncertainty you want to know should I do this should I do that whatever so yeah um in terms of the symptoms, Nikki, did you find personally that they came on slowly and sort of individually or did they come in a cluster and how do you remember it happening? It's, it's going to be individual, um, but uh, looking back on it, um, actually, if I really look back on it, it's like, oh gosh, I remember now I was having really heavy periods um, okay. before those symptoms. And so if I really look back on it, probably those were in retrospect and ovulatory cycles. Um, but those things, it's like anything, it sort of creeps up on you. You just come to one day and you think, oh my goodness, why have I been feeling like this for the last few weeks or months or whatever? So I can't honestly say I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, look, I've got all the lists now. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the other confusing thing because I'm a doctor and I knew all that this was going to happen at some point, but it was, it could have been really scary if I hadn't have known yeah. Because then I could put all the pieces together. It's like, oh, there was that and that and that. And then it all kind of makes makes yeah. sense that that's, that's what it is. Yeah. And I guess if they're all happening at different times. Well, that's well. the other thing. They don't all, you don't wake up, like I said, one morning and suddenly got that full list. Because if you did, it kind of would make it easier. But no, it's just one day you, and also you make excuses. Like, and also we're women, so we get on with it, right? <laughs> So you know what I mean? If you're feeling really tired, you don't moan about it and complain. You just get on with it, you see? And then, and then maybe you convince yourself that that's not so bad and it goes away or you think it goes away anyway. Uh, um, and then maybe in a few weeks' time, you're also, you know, just feeling really hot. And again, you'll think, oh, well, maybe it's just because of something or other. So I think that's the thing. If they're coming at different times and they can come and go yeah, because that's reflecting what's happening with your hormones, they come and go. The ovaries... Yeah ovaries might have a good month (laughs) and then they might have a bad month you see so they come and go so it's just really hard to uh, nail it down it's tricky isn't it and I guess that's one thing that's different to reds because if you have ceased your periods full stop there'll be a sustained period where you might not have them whereas I imagine with perimenopause it could be exactly yeah that is absolutely true um but ideally by the way going just if we sort of sidestep onto reds um if you don't mind um you're absolutely right when the, your periods have stopped and you've got fha aim, uh, you know functional hypothalamic amenorrhea i mean by the way i i think we i'm my mission apart from helping perimenopausal women is also to um those athletes to identify before their periods because like the menopause when your periods stop whether it's menopause or fha that's actually quite a significant event you know and you've definitely come to that point but ideally, it would be nice if we could pick up those at risk of low energy availability before their periods absolutely stop. Because once your periods stop, then, you know, there's a chain of events that health consequences, etc. So this is, again, where really getting to grips with your hormones yep. through the methods I've described would also really benefit that group yep. um, of, you know, 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds who um, hopefully aren't we're not talking about perimenopause, we are talking about reds. Uh, and their periods actually might, if they log them, they might actually not be look so bad, you know? They mm-hmm. might be having them. Yeah. But then if you look at the nitty-gritty of the hormones, it's like, well, actually you're not ovulating and actually your estrogen is low. You're just about hanging in there. 
Um, but that situation can also have an adverse effect on your health. Yeah. Um, so that's why, listen, I hope I'm convincing everyone that the details of your hormones are very important. Yes. <laughs> I think you're doing a very good job of advocating for it, Nikki. No, I mean, I agree. I think it all comes back to, I think, education and knowledge about what you're looking out for as well, because it's, it's mm-hmm. always a process of elimination, isn't it, with these things? There's mm-hmm. so much going on in your life. And I think... Well, that's a, and that's, absolutely, that's also true for the body. The body, when things are happening... The, there isn't an email, the title of the email to the hypothalamus, the control center, doesn't have, oh, this is the stress from having a very hard training session. This is the stress from not eating enough. Oh, this is the stress from internal, you know, the ovaries aren't working. So actually, to be fair to the body, of course, because it doesn't distinguish between where these various yeah. stressors or changes are coming from. So that's why, of course, you, as you on the receiving end or feel how you feel, um, you can't distinguish just on the symptoms alone you have to do the detective work and get to the nitty-gritty of what's happening inside where where is the problem try and isolate or identify where the problem is and I think to your point as well that I thought was quite a good one about education for others who might you know men who might not be going through this but your family for example if they'd known what might what might to expect they might have turned around and said oh hang on oh that's really you yeah know, well that, that's, that's having, a good example because by the way I've got a family of men it's my husband I've got two boys right yeah um so although they were pretty good um because you know I I eventually I did tweak and I told them you know it's like listen I'm not going mad by the way you know <laughs> so but again if I hadn't have known yeah. And even then, as we discussed, it was hard for me to really pin it down. I kept making excuses. I'm a busy yeah. doctor. No, 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 you know. Um, but even, even if you have pinned it down for yourself, yeah. then letting the other people in your life know, in, including men, uh, you know, whether that's your coach or your partner, your husband, your, your children, I don't, you know, whoever it is. Yeah. Um, actually, I hope everyone's listening to this from that point of view. And the, the men haven't switched off when we said at the beginning we're going to talk about this because actually <laughs> um, this is in a pretty in, important topic for, for the whole, all of us. Yeah, but as coaches and yep. as other family members as well, the more that we can do to be observant because that's where we add value. <laughs> well, that's a very good point because then, you know, uh, whoever it is, uh, the man, uh, the coach, whoever he is, if he notices... Oh, the telltale signs. I mean, we're getting better, gradually getting better for Reds. Gradually, gradually, I've made a course for uh, coaches about female health. Um, And so, you know, the coaches now, hopefully, we're getting there, still a long way to go, feel more comfortable, um, inquiring as part of the training, um, you know, training metric, are your peers regular, just making note of this and making note of when the athlete looks really tired and just checking in, just, you know, uh, you know how you what's going on you know so we're getting better I think for from that point of view for the reds for the younger ones but yeah. the same should apply um, for you know the more mature uh, athletes because after all age group athletes you know why shouldn't women be doing Absolutely. all this and competing and there are more and more uh, you know of us uh, I'm not an athlete competing but I mean more of us of that age group who want to and why shouldn't we continue doing what we love whether that's climbing whether that's running for me in ballet you know why shouldn't we that's something that's really important to us so yes you know the old attitude of well that's it you know 
you're on the, <laughs> that's it, you're done and dusted, you're finished now. I mean, it might have been like that, I think, in years gone, well, when I say years gone past, and centuries gone past, um, you know, in the Tudor times, uh, realistically, women would be lucky if they reached the menopause because lots of them dialed in childbirth. Of course, yeah. You see, so actually also we have to uh, remember and reflect and appreciate and take into account that women, a third of our life, probably, because the average life expectancy of women is 85, I think. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to be spending a third of our life in, hopefully, the, well, I, hopefully in the sense that, you know, we have that life expectancy in the menopausal state. And yet, actually, if you look at the uh, government statistics, um, health spending goes down for women compared to men from the age of 50. Yeah. So, you know, actually, it, yeah, it doesn't, things aren't quite adding up here, you know? Yeah, so. I totally agree. And I think for climbing as well, it's one of those sports where it's not just competition-based. It is a lifelong passion for many people because exactly. it's so accessible. Um, so, yeah, no, I totally agree. In terms of, I had a question that I've asked, been asked before about if you have very severe PMS mm-hmm. um, when, when you're sort of having your natural menstrual cycle, is that an indicator of the severity of your symptoms when you go into perimenopause? Yeah, very good question. In fact, I was at um, my notes were over there on my desk. I was attending um, a virtual webinar um, organised by the uh, RSM, Royal Society of Medicine. Excellent um, about uh, you know female hormone health or something of, those, of that nature. The title, and yes, that was one of the things they were saying that maybe women who are sensitive to changes in hormones in terms of um, PMS or postnatal, uh, you know, depression. Uh, There is some evidence that maybe those are also the women who will be sensitive to, therefore, their hormones changing uh, in that, uh, you know, perimenopause going into menopause. So, yes, there is uh, some evidence that maybe that is a thing. But I think what the important thing, like we said, stress at at the top was that, you know, just because that might be true in some women because I don't want women to go away and say oh that's it I'm doomed yeah. I've got the genetics I've got this and then you know whatever it might be but it might not yeah and so again being proactive knowing what to look out for knowing what tests to do uh doing your homework and your research about HRT for example so you feel in control and you know you've got strategies there waiting because the worst yeah. thing you want to happen is to think oh my goodness that's it my yeah. mother had an early menopause. I've got PMS. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, that's it. But no, no, no. I mean, take those into account by all means, but um, try to get all that information that you need so you feel empowered. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what we're trying to do today, isn't it? Exactly. Sort of yeah. Giving all of the information and yeah. then we'll come on to some solutions and tips and things to actually to try and help as well. Um, I guess, so we've gone through some of the symptoms then. So yeah. you've described quite well the whole... Sort of, sort of cognitive side of things, sort of mood changes, brain fog, you sort of vasomotor symptoms, so yep. getting quite hot. Flushes, yeah. Um, and flushes and joint aches as well, feeling fatigued. Yes, yeah, add that in. Um, and then other ones, so you mentioned the vaginal dryness. Um, and, and lots of frequency of urination, that goes because those tissues there are very sensitive to oestrogen. So yeah. that's why the two go hand in hand sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess they're probably, just to recap, the main kind of things you might start to notice. Yeah. I mean, for me, because I already had rheumatoid arthritis, so joint pain is sort of oh, gosh. It's part of the course. But yes, certainly joint pain. Um, also, um, body composition changes that, you know, you might just be wondering, 
Um, you know, because estrogen, uh, the fluctuation of your hormones helps maintain good body composition. Yeah. So you might be just like, well, I don't understand why my trousers are a bit tighter, but I haven't, you know what I mean? Things like okay, this. Okay, yeah, yeah. So... Sometimes um, a bit of weight gain potentially. Yes, or, or or body composition rather than weight gain per se. You okay. know, um, some weight going on around the midriff, where you know, around your, like I say, around your belt line. Okay. Not necessarily, but just things to look out for. But also just just not feeling up to your best fatigue. You know, if, if you're training, it's like, well, how come I was doing this training like this a year ago and I felt yeah. fine, and now I feel absolutely exhausted. So also, how you're responding to your training. Yeah. Um, is is a is a key thing yeah absolutely and then we've touched already on the kind of sort of hormone mapping that you can do because it sounds as though at least in the UK if you're after 45 years old as far as I understand it they probably would be reluctant to do any blood tests anyway uh, yeah and certainly even under 45 no um, I mean nice guidelines advise against doing a blood test so yeah. that's why quite reasonably if you go to a GP and say I think I might be perimenopause um, can you do a blood test? They will probably say no because it won't give us any information. Yeah, I mean, it will give you some information if the FSH we mentioned that control hormone is is sort of high on day three. Then actually that could give you some uh, thing, but it's still a little bit up in the air. Will and they do multiples? So could we go to them and say we want a repeat blood test, or is that something that at least in well the you, you can try? Okay, you can try, but I think most likely what might happen is if they do agree to do the blood test, and the thing is it comes back normal, mm, you see, and the, then you're the really stucky, and then how are you going to persuade them, oh, well, it was normal, but I want you to repeat it, or even if it was a bit high. Yeah. So um, that's why it becomes complicated um, yeah. to rely on a single blood test yeah. or even multiple single blood tests. Um, it, it, it's just a snapshot okay. of that cycle. Yeah. Um, but of course, it will depend on the situation. If the woman is like uh, 50 and she's got massive all those symptoms and the FSH is a bit high, actually now I'm just attending the virtual uh, British Menopause Society conference. I'm a member of that. And, you know, now, uh, you know, there is an argument maybe in that situation if the woman's really struggling actually and the blood test is looking if he maybe one goes for HRT sooner than later. Yeah. But again, as a woman, I think you want to know. You, yeah. I, I don't want to like, oh, well, maybe, maybe. You just like, well, listen, I'd actually want to know yeah. more, with more certainty rather than, oh, well, you might as well do this. It's like, well, you know, so that's, that's, prob that's the situation, I think. Yeah, and lots of our listeners and viewers as well, they come to us for training plans because they want specifics, you know, that are going to Yes, exactly. Them. Yes, yes. And it might, yeah, quite. So you want more certainty. So privately then, because this is what Fourth With Life offers, at yeah. the moment, and I'll put a link in the, in the information below, uh, but what's, what can you offer and mm -hmm. how will that help in combination with the symptoms? So... Um, what you do, we've developed this thing called female hormone mapping, and you um, do a finger prick blood test, you'll be pleased to hear. <laughs> so you can do it at home, in the comfort of your home. Um, you know, I've done it myself, it's pretty straightforward, and you only fill a very teeny little bottle. And you do a blood test on day 14 of your cycle and on day 21. Okay. Um, and you send them off, okay, as you do them, right? Don't let them, don't leave them in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, but you put the, the, so it's quite convenient. Say you were going to order this test, you want to know, and Fourth will send you the kit to do those tests, and then it's your responsibility, obviously, to do them on those uh, days. You label them up, 
And yeah. when you send off the blood test, it's in a prepaid envelope, stick it in the, in the post box and online you log your symptoms. You tell yeah. us how you've been feeling over the last seven days. Okay. And there are some uh, sort of typical met metrics there about sleep, mood, etc. Right. And then once both of those blood tests have been analyzed by the lab, then the results from those four hormones, those key ones we've been talking about, uh, we put it into the mathematical program and yeah. it plots, it estimates or uh, if in mathematical jargon, we say it infers the best possible fit for your the fluctuations of your hormones for those mm -hmm. four hormones over the entire cycle. OK. OK. Yeah. And we take into account the, the program takes into account you as an individual. You tell us how long your cycle length is. So we yeah. know, like get asked a lot, oh, well, what happens if I've got a long or short cycle? Yeah. doesn't matter. Aim for those days, you know, um, and then we will adjust according to how long you tell our cy your cycle is. Yeah. And then from those graphs, there's a report uh, which I have generated um, I mean, all the jargon here, expert report system, basically it will trigger me to literally say something or put there on your report what that means, okay? Yeah, yeah. So, for example, the conclusion will be like we said, it might be, hey, listen, everything is looking fine. Yeah. You've got a really, overall, we give you a score out of 100, <laughs> okay? okay? It's just, again, you know, just give you an idea of where you are. Yeah, and so you can context. be reassured. Yeah, it's context. It's like, overall, all these graphs mean you're over 75, it's 75%, uh, everything is fine. And that's yeah. like, that's, that's great. Yeah. If it's a little bit lower than that, depending on the pattern of your graphs, it will be either, yes, it looks like the low energy availability yeah. side of things, or it looks like it's an ovarian uh, thing and more the perimenopausal yeah. uh, issue. So it will tell you, it will help you distinguish which, what, you know, whether it's low energy availability yeah. or it's, uh, the ovaries, or yep. whether actually it's fine. And that in itself yep. can be quite reassuring. If it's fine, actually, then you can go back and say, well, actually, um, maybe I need to maybe test for something else, or maybe actually I need to look at something else. Maybe I am. I Oh, I have got all this life stress uh, yes. of whatever it is that you need to, to, to sort out, right? But yep. it will help you identify what's going on and what you need to do. Okay, yeah. And so that was one cycle, two points in one cycle. Two points test. in one cycle. So it will give you the insights of that cycle. Ideally, and what I've been doing is that I would encourage people to consider doing it more than once. Yeah. Because um, it depends what it is. Um, you know, if it's entirely normal and it's fine, and maybe you're just doing it out of curiosity, then maybe you leave it and you just repeat it in six months or something. But if you're, if it's something does get called up as whatever we're talking about, low energy availability or perimenopause, yeah. in, the, in the summary of the, of the report, I, I give some sort of advice. Yeah. Right? So then you go away, you do your homework, right? Whatever I have put the advice there, yeah. um, whether it's to do with your nutrition, your training, whatever it is, yeah. um, then to repeat it and see, has that made a difference? So is yeah. it basically a reversible thing? Yeah. Or if you're perimenopause, what's my progression? Because yep. no one really knows. It would be very unlikely if it was just a, you know, uh, a smooth downward slope. Yeah. It's going to be going up and down, but at least it will give you some idea of how you're, where you are in that journey. If yep. you're actually leveled off at a certain thing or whether actually it's gone down a fair bit, 
or whatever. So that will give you an idea. It's like tracking anything, isn't it? It's like tracking any training metric. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, you have eyes, it. you have eyes on the, in, so you get on the individual report and you'll make comments personally as well. So it's yes, not just automatically will, generated. Yes, you're absolutely right. The, 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 the fundamental text, uh, expandability text is, is what I was prepared to explain to yeah. remind people, this is what the curve, how we made it, this is what it means. Uh, and then the summary points also are pre-prepared to some extent, but then I review all the reports. And so depending on what the person said also, why have they done this? Yeah. Then I, I will make tweaks. And yeah. there is also the possibility at the end of the report. The final thing is you can also click to make an appointment to a virtual appointment to talk through it uh, with oh. me. So for some people that might actually be what they would prefer to do anything anyway, because yes. in my experience, people like, talking um, you know what I mean face-to-face face-to-face virtual thing so anyway that's my job as a doctor I'd much prefer that anyway so you know you read your report and if you want to and then you can click to make an appointment for me with me and um, we go through it in the finer detail and also it helps me to put it in context because then I get to know the person I mean we ask what your training load is but I can get more detail from you you know when are you doing that training I hope you're not doing it fasted um (laughs) Uh, you, yeah. know, uh, uh, um, you know, I get to the finer detail and also the feel for the person or what's, yeah. you know, what, what else is going on in your life, what's going you know what I mean? So yeah. it makes it easier for me. So if people want more finer detail, uh, there's so much, I, there's a lot that you'll see on the report. Yeah. Um, people can have a look, there's a sample report. There's a lot, there's a lot of good mm-hmm. information, but if you really want even more personalized information, yeah. uh, then you have the opportunity to, to speak with me. Oh, no, that's great. So, yeah, no, that's that's fourth with life, isn't it? So as I said, yep. I'll put some links underneath, but that does give everybody an option at the moment. And I imagine your 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 data sets and everything will get much more as you sort of do it more and more. You'll get even yeah, yeah. more, I imagine, and everything. Yes, well, already, already I'm seeing trends and patterns. Yeah, that, that I, I don't think anybody, well, no one knows because no one's done it before. Um, already I'm seeing these patterns yeah. with the, the perimenopause and okay. the stages I'm seeing before my eyes. Oh, wow, I can now spot. Oh, wow, that woman is it's, it's early on. Or actually now the ovaries got second wind. Yeah. Um, or actually now the ovaries are really like, no, no, no. You see, so as we get more people doing this, yes, absolutely, we will get the finer detail. But also for the individual, it will help us make better recommendations um, for, for the REDS people. Yeah. Um, you know, at the moment I see women, I, if they've got REDS, and I try and help them get their periods back, you know, by talking about the training and the nutrition, etc. cetera. Um, but then, and usually I work with Rini, as you mentioned, and generally we say to women, you know, don't increase your training till you've got three cycles back. Yeah. Right. But to be absolutely honest with the, you, that is just our best thing, three cycles. Yeah. But we don't really know if those cycles are ovulatory and everything. So that's, again, where this would help because I'm using this now to, I've got an athlete at the moment, we got one period back and then she did this test on the second period and actually it wasn't ovulatory. So I was like, well, listen, it's great you've got a period, but I'm afraid that one doesn't count. Yeah. You know? yeah. You're still on one. But, you know, it, it helps because otherwise lots of women get disheartened if their periods come back and then they often get carried away with training. But again, it's easier for me. Athletes like the data. I show them the data. It's like, look, yeah. it wasn't an ovulatory cycle. So you understand 
you see the rationale yeah. why you've just got to hold off for another cycle and, and hold your horses. Absolutely. I mean, it's anything, isn't it? The more you can diagnose through like sort of certainty with the testing or, you know, I, mm-hmm. I ruptured my MCL the other year and I, it was useful oh. to have the MRI because it taught me that it was definitely ruptured. And yeah, you can, see, you can see it. Yeah, exactly. Because you want, listen, you want the evidence. Yeah. We want the evidence. It gets, you know, everyone doesn't like a vague thing. Oh, well, probably this or maybe that or whatever. Or also some generic thing, Yeah, which is another thing uh, that happens. You see so much generic advice wafting around in the ether as it were and also that gets me annoyed because how could it possibly be correct that one thing would help you know doing one specific thing that helped one person could be you know therefore help every other woman yeah it makes no sense because we're individuals not clones yeah so again we want this finer detail we want personalized medicine yeah no, no, I totally agree. I guess one final question before we move mm-hmm. on to the sort of solutions or what we can do is once we've gone through menopause, is it possible for the symptoms that you might have had in perimenopause to continue or is it reasonable mm-hmm. to expect they might completely alleviate? You know, what, do you have any views on that? Or Thanks, they will get slightly less because the body is amazing at adapting. So the body will get to real shock. But then it's like it, it, it will get better if you don't, you know, the body just adjusts to that. This is the new status quo. Um, it will adjust, sure, but whether it's hopefully you won't feel like a 20-year-old again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the answer. Things will improve. But it really, I think the most important thing is to really emphasize here that it is about quality of life. Yeah. And it's like even... Even if you think, okay, fine, I've got to go through five years of hell and then it might get better. Yeah. Why should you even do that? It's like, you know, anyway, that's my opinion as a woman. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. There's, there's always something to try and find out to try, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I think stay optimistic on that front. Um, no, that's really interesting. So I guess for everyone listening and viewing, HRT is one of the things that comes up quite often and I think there's been a lot of misinformation around that and we're in a very different place now as far as I've read but obviously you can tell us more so when it comes to hormonal treatments because obviously as you've explained uh, all of this does stem yeah it's down to the hormones hormones where are we at in terms of women who are experiencing symptoms quite severely or even maybe not severely what's your what's your stance on HRT well it's not my stance it's the stance of the British Menopause Society yeah. And the stance of the vice of the, you know, the Royal College of Obstetrics Gynecology. Um, you're right. Unfortunately, there was a there was a big misinformation thing that happened in the 2000, 2000 it was 2000 or 2001. Yeah. What happened was there was a big study in America, and unfortunately, the press got hold of some information, but it was misrepresented. Well, we heard that before. Anyway, so but when it and it, the headline was that HRT causes breast cancer. Yeah. But then a few years later, or when doctors, when it was peer reviewed and everyone poured over the data, what transpired was that actually that study was very biased because they had recruited women who were 10 years after the menopause in their 60s. And also the other thing is being in America, no offense, but they were all overweight. So one of the big risk factors for breast cancer is being overweight. You see what I mean? Yeah. So there's a lovely uh, diagram, which I'll explain to you but if people want to look at it go and look at the British Menopause Society website and this diagram uh, 
uh, demonstrates the following. For women between the ages of 50 and 59, um, there are, for every thousand women, uh, there are 24 cases of breast cancer. And yep. there is an extra four if you take HRT. Okay. There's an extra 24, I repeat, an extra 24 if you're overweight and you haven't got a healthy lifestyle. Okay, That's yeah. obviously not going to apply to climbers, by the way. But <laughs> the interesting thing is there are seven less cases of breast cancer per 1,000 women if you do two and a half hours of exercise per week. So if you do the maths, if you do your exercise and you take your HRT, you're still better off. Yeah, in terms of breast cancer, and yep. most importantly, you're better off because you've got a better quality of life. Yep. And that is what um, there was an editorial on the B, uh, BMJ, British Medical Journal, by the Vice President of the Royal College of Obstetric Gynecologists, who is absolutely passionate about this um, and who is furious that all this misinformation has put back women's health by 10 years, quote, unquote, mm. and that women should be treated as individual, not statistics. That's her right. quote, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and that is the individual woman, right? So if you are feeling not great or yep. you're concerned about your long-term health, yep. then actually, and you haven't got any contraindications to HRT, you're far better off taking HRT than not. Because okay, yep. apart from HRT relieving the symptoms of menopause that we discussed, also in terms of the long-term health, it reduces all-cause mortality, which means all causes of death. So it reduces the case of the incidences of cardiovascular disease and osteoporosis. Yep. Cardiovascular disease, we're actually better off as women until we reach the age of menopause, when we then our risk goes up to equal that of men because we haven't got estrogen on board anymore. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing is osteoporosis, also known as the silent killer. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a nasty disease. My mother's got it and it's really, really sad. Um, she used to be taller than me and now she's really stooped and she finds her breathing is really difficult. So, mm. and you know, uh, heaven forbid, but, uh, you know, it, women that, or men, indeed, that fall over with osteoporosis and hip fracture, um, it's a really high mortality because you've got to be an operation, et cetera. So, yeah. um, you know, again, it's it's for your long-term health as well, although in the immediate term, of course, it's for your quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. And how effective it, is it at improving quality of life? Um, well, very good. Again, um, I haven't got the exact statistics, but if you look at the British Menopause Society, um, it will uh, explain that it does indeed improve the quality of life. And also you have to be discerning about your choice of HRT. That's the other crucial thing. Yeah. Statement on the uh, on this website. Um, uh, and they recommend that the best form of HRT, the safest and the most effective is um, the estrogen should be taken transdermally, as we say, through the skin. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a gel or a patch, not yeah. a tablet, because it has to go through the liver and uh, anyway. So, okay. That's why. So the estrogen patch or gel, personally, I think the gel is more convenient because a patch is just like a bit annoying having something stuck in your leg all the time. I just went swimming. Anyway, um, so you know what I mean? Anyway, so uh, and then the progesterone component, again, big improvements over the years. And the mildest form of progesterone, as they describe it, is uh, micronized progesterone. And it's mm. available in the trademark is Utrogestam. And I want to really emphasize that these two, the best, the top shelf, uh, HRT is available on the NHS. Great. And there's actually a campaign to try and make it free. I don't know if that's going to work, but anyway, it's available on the NHS. And the British Menopause Society specifically say, do not take unlicensed, unregulated forms of HRT by identicals. It's a marketing ploy. I'm sorry, but that's simply, and I'm, I'm, I'm just quoting what they're saying, yeah. right? Just in case anyone comes back to me. 
Um, I'm just quoting what's on their website and they say do not uh, take that apart from it being hellishly expensive. The other thing is it's not licensed, it's not regulated. So you're not quite sure the exact dose you're taking or whatever. Yeah. Um, So it's really, if you're thinking about HRT, have a look at that website, do your homework uh, and discuss with your GP. um, And it's absolutely fine. And that's part of when I do the report on female hormone mapping, I was discussing with a a cyclist that did this test the other day and I, I told all this information and I gave her the, I said, look, why don't you ask for this, for this and this and ask for these doses, da, 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 da. And so she went, could go into the GP and yep. say, right, I've reached, I've read the British Menopause Society website and I want this, yep. this and this. And they cannot refuse you. They cannot refuse you. So you see what I mean? So it's, yep. again, it's all about that information. Get the good information, read, read up. And so that's the HRT story. So yep. that's what I really want to emphasize. Um, there are some women for whom HRT is contraindicated. If you have a very close or family history of breast cancer, okay. although even that, the, one of the debates, I love the debates on the British Menopause Society conference, it's quite funny. Uh, they have, you know, a, a for and against. Yeah. The way presenting, one was presenting the motion that actually even women with breast cancer should be um, considered for HRT because okay. of their quality of life. And then on the other, anyway. So the jury's still out, but although at the moment, as it stands, that is not it's not recommended right unless you are under a real specialist uh, team and care Um, and so you know there are um non-hormonal alternatives um uh, and there are some that actually it's a bit iffy is it definitely effective or is it placebo effect and all this sort of thing and not even the the so-called natural or non-hormonal things again they're not drugs so they're not regulated so yeah. you have to be sure that they're trademarked with at least it's good quality stuff, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there are, having said that, there are some. Uh, there is some evidence that some of these uh, sort of plant-based preparations can help some women. So yeah. You know, um, uh, the only one you shouldn't take, and I suppose theoretically you you could take HRT and what these the ones you shouldn't take is St John's Wort because that interferes. St John's Wort interferes with a whole load of medications. Not oh, interesting. Including okay, including HRT. It says this on the British Menopause Society yep. um, uh, website. In fact, I'll just. And by the way, I, I mean this is a book that's available for doctors. But if you're really keen, you can order it. I think you can order it. It's fifteen pounds. It's actually got really good information. Oh, um, and um, so that's the only thing about St John's Award, but um, that you just have to be wary. That read it carefully. The instructions in there, they're, you know, normally we don't read, well, I don't always read all that long list of side effects or interactions, but actually this is one where you do should read it. Okay. Um, And that will tell you on the instructions if it's... It should do. Well, it depends again on the quality of it. Um, But if it's properly... It should should do, or in any case, be aware of that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of, I guess some some women might, or some uh, individuals might say, why can't I just take a combined oral contraceptive because I get the benefit of that and I get estrogen and progesterone. Why should I take HRT? And now I'm, I'm asking you this because I, I know I'm, I'm anticipating what your response will be, but I think it would be beneficial to, to hear your thoughts. Well, the clue is in the name. Hormonal contraception, hormone replacement. So hormonal con- the combined oral contraceptive pill, uh, its job is to suppress all your hormones. So it switches everything off. Right. Yeah. Yes, it has got estrogen and progesterone in it, but not as your body recognizes it. It's not exactly the same molecule. 
And so these hormones in the contraceptive pill, they fool the, they, they fool the control center. They fool the, the hypothalamus and pituitary to think that these levels are really high so they don't have to release any FSH and LH, right? Yeah. They fall there, but they do not fool the rest of the body. Specifically, they do not fool the bones. The bone, bones have a look at that and it's like, well, that's not the real stuff. I'm yeah. ignoring that. So it's, um, so it suppresses all your hormones and it doesn't offer bone protection, which is also, yeah. by the way, on a different, slightly different topic, why you should never give the combined oral contraceptive pill to someone who's got FHA. Yeah. That's from the Endocrine Society guidelines. I always want to make sure people yeah. know it's just not my opinion. It's from yeah. a, a published paper. Anyway, so, so now we think about the menopause. So what's the problem? Well, what's going on? It's not a problem. It's a natural physiological process. What's going on in the menopause? The ovaries aren't working. They're not producing estrogen and progesterone. So you, you want to give yourself some estrogen and progesterone. But you want to give it estrogen and progesterone that the body recognizes, body identical, right? You want yeah. to give it the same stuff. You don't want to give it fake stuff. Yeah. Of course you wouldn't. So that's why you need, that's why HRT. And the HRT I've described, that is exactly the same molecular structure as what you produce yourself. So there's yeah. no, it's like a seamless transition. Yeah. From okay. you had it and now we keep going on with it. Okay. Yeah. Rather than giving it different stuff, uh, which will just shut everything down and actually won't give you all those benefits I just described. Yeah. Um, it's it's so interesting, it, isn't it, to see how your natural hormones sort of flatline when you're on a oral combined contraceptive. Yes. Yeah, so listen, I can see it on a blood test. If someone does, a, I mean, sometimes people do a blood test and I am asked to report on it. And sometimes people, please do, by the way, if you ever do a blood test before, please make my life a bit easier and give me some information. Anyway, <laughs> the different, anyway, so, you know, they haven't said what's going on, but I can look at it and, I, and it's like, well, that person's on the combined oral contraceptive pill. Because yeah. when I say low, I mean low. I mean, someone with FHA, uh, it's just a, it's a bit low, scudding along, low, low end of range, but combined oral, it's even a step low. It's like really low and flat. Mm-hmm. Mm. if they did it continuously so i think people should be aware of that in general know yeah. your by the way know your hrt know your contraceptions as well <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, so there you go get informed yeah yeah and go into that 10 minute consultation with your gp forewarned is yeah <laughs> for, exactly do you do your reading yeah and two other things then that yeah. i've seen mentioned for that you could get prescribed is testosterone mm-hmm. testosterone and vaginal estrogen you know yep. if you have vaginal dryness is that is that something that can be prescribed either of them let's start with testosterone yeah, I yeah well I, okay sure um well testosterone it is possible it's a little bit more tricky um having said that you can get all hrt on the nhs i mean in in australia they're one step ahead of us they have a specific type of testosterone for women obviously a very low dose but here in the uk we if you want testosterone then it has to be the male version you have to take a, a teeny dose obviously mm. right I mean, it's your individual choice. Um, I don't really want to say one way or the other. Personally, I didn't go down that route. Okay. And also, I, you know, so I, but it's, it's your choice. But it would, I'm, so yeah, just you would need to discuss that uh, with your GP, but also be aware that if you are competing under, um, in a, you know, water, under water jurisdiction and climbing is now after all, is it not? Is yes. it in the Olympics, correct? Yes, right? it is. Yep. So Coming I think up. it is water jurisdiction. So, um, you know, theoretically, um, if you're a woman taking testosterone or a man, by the way, whatever, um, then that could present a, a problem. So just be aware of that. Yep. So, so that is, is your choice. I mean, my reckon I work with that, uh, with these, uh, you know, 
athletes and I say, listen, let's just get it sorted out with the HRT. Let's feel yeah. the, get you feeling good on the HRT and then we'll see yeah. what's going on. Because lots of them say, oh, I want testosterone because they think that's going to make them, I don't know, whatever. But actually, why, by the time they've got into the swing with HRT, they were like, actually, I'm fine now. I don't need this yeah. testosterone. So I would just do one thing at the time. So that's for the testosterone. Just leave that on the side for the moment. Okay. Uh, uh, the for, uh, vaginal estrogen. Yes, you can. I would. Yes, <laughs> I would recommend that. Um, okay. <laughs> right. Um, uh, and you can take that in addition to the HRT. That's it's separate, right? Yeah. It's a separate thing. And even yeah. women, even women with breast cancer who are not advised to have HRT, they can have this the vaginal option. estrogen. Yes, because it's a very low dose and it's local. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit like a very small tampon, a bit teeny, teeny thing. All right. In case we want to, people want yeah, to know. Yeah. So yeah. it's very, it's very, it's very straightforward. And um, absolutely, that can really help vaginal dryness and the urination thing I've, I've mentioned. But okay. um, there are also the vaginal lubricants, um, silk. Um, it's, it's, I guess it's like KY, I suppose. Um, but it comes in a nice fancy bottle. So. <laughs> It just looks a bit nicer. Anyway, um, that's actually, that's also... Um, I think it's really important. I think the more that we can... Yeah. As, as well, um, yeah. have there. If uh, either you, maybe for whatever reason, you don't want to do vaginal estrogen or, or you can do that in addition. Yeah. Vaginal estrogen and have the silk or just try the silk. You know what I mean? You've got the various yeah. uh, options there. Yeah, that's really good to know. Um and I guess the only other things that are sort of other things that I guess you might go to your GP for is if you are really struggling mood wise, then there may be some cognitive behavioral therapy options. Yes, absolutely. That That's definitely, definitely um, recommended by the British Menopause Society website. Yeah. yeah. I haven't done that myself, but again, and I don't want to speak out of term because I haven't done that, but I wonder if some of that is actually knowing what's going on and then so it depends but absolutely that is certainly something that's been shown to be helpful yeah absolutely so that's I guess what, what you could go to your doctor for and I hopefully we've helped people sort of really think through the kind of questions they might ask what they might go and read because I think you've given some great resources that I'll try yep. and cite as Thank well you. in terms of other self-help remedies so I'm happy for you to talk personally or also the doctor hat on like obviously sleep and nutrition seem like massive things throughout one's life but even more even mm. more so at this point absolutely um again trying to look on the positive side is a good opportunity uh, to review you know as you say we should be doing it all the time and actually um i do agree and I, i'm quite pleased with that on the nice guidelines the top on the list is lifestyle right so i mean you know if you're climbers then obviously you're being active but actually then we're talking about the nitty-gritty of the training right and so as you get older I'm allowed to say this now because <laughs> um, my children keep reminding me I am old. Anyway, oh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, any, listen, in a lighthearted way, I, I think, <laughs> I think, I hope, um, you know, doing more strength training, very important because we talked about body composition. So absolutely, it's a good opportunity to review things, look at your training, uh, train smart, do more strength and conditioning, have more rest days. You need more recovery days, full yeah. stop. You'll be more effective rather than pushing yourself and having ineffective training much better to say, you know what, I feel really tired today. I'm going to have a rest day. Yeah. And, and that's that. And speaking with your, if you have a coach, you know, again, having that conversation with the coach, look, I, I just need to be a bit flexible with the, with the training schedule. Now to have those conversations that you want the extra rest day, you want to do more strength and conditioning. So looking at your training nutrition, of course, as ever uh, important consistency of nutrition, um, yeah. I know what it's like because if you are thinking, oh, well, I'm, you know, 
changing body composition or something, the temptation would be, oh, I eat less. But actually, again, it's eating um, consistently, um, not eat some carbohydrates and protein really, really important. Okay, yeah. um, very, very important for particularly uh, loose, leucine, I think, as well, isn't it? Yeah. And also overnight casein, right? Yeah. Uh, found in milk, for example, and some good studies showing that if you take bedtime protein, um, then that's going to help your muscles as you're sleeping. It's like, well, there you go, easy yeah. peasy. Exactly. So all those things, um, like you say, that theoretically you should have been doing, is a good idea to review them and also make those changes. Don't be scared. Yeah. Listen, it don't expect, you know, I mean, you have to be realistic. And, you know, I would like to be trained like my 20-year-old sons, but, you know, what I mean, it's not, that would be, or my yeah. husband, more to the point, my husband would like to be <laughs> training like his sons. Um, and my son is, is his coach for a time, which was quite funny. Um, and actually, my son, most of the time he was coaching him, was telling him not to overtrain, not to put in the junk miles, yep. not, yeah, not to absolutely. put in the intensity yep. or put in the intensity in, in blocks and to do strength and conditioning. And although yep. my husband grumbled yep. <laughs> going to the gym and getting told off for going too fast, yep. although he complained about it, he actually had his best season and came uh, second in the national. Oh, so fantastic. you see what I mean? So it, it is, it is uh, tricky. You know, if you want, you feel you, the, you, your mindset is more is better. It's not necessarily. It's, it, Especially it's, in endurance sports, because I think it's very yeah. tempting, isn't it, to, put, to keep wanting to put in the miles or the extra volume. Um, and so in climbing, we have sport climbing. And for individuals who really like the longer routes, um, it is quite important, I think, to recognize that you can very easily overdo it. And actually, you'll like stunt your strength gains potentially. Yes, exactly. It will backfire. Um, so actually, focusing on on those strength things. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the proprioception and the stretching and all those other things, which one might one might think are peripheral. Yeah. Actually, become really, really even more important. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're quite. Um, I've seen you a bit of an advocate for gut health. I think um, I've read some of your your sort of blogs, etc. Um, sort of pre and probiotics and looking into that oh yes uh, well that's an interesting story um, this is telling you very uh, are we too long or you're okay anyway so I used to um, uh, work at St Thomas's Hospital many years ago doing some research um, on bone health and actually I was uh, developing an anti-doping test for growth hormone anyway um, there was a, a, a Dr. Tim Spector was there at the time and now he's Professor Tim Spector and he's a big advocate of of um, gut health. He's written a very interesting book and I've heard him lecture. Anyway, the bottom line is that the, this concept of pro and prebiotics, so he describes probiotics as he shows a picture of a desert. So you've got to give it some, uh, some uh, seeds, right? That's the probiotic, okay? Yep. Um, and then uh, the prebiotic, big pardon, and then the probiotic is feeding, watering the desert. Yeah. And so that's where we come in with the fermented foods and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and uh, the only water-soluble probiotic, to my knowledge, is a thing called Simprove. And so if you're having problems with your gut, I mean, the thing is, the microbiome is, is very trendy and, and, and everything. And, of course, uh, Professor Spector's work is really important. Um, but, you know, so I think on the other hand, we can get carried away and think, well, if I, you know, if I get to the, the, the perfect microbiome, everything is going to be wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. It's very, very important uh, part of your, and it should theoretically be part of your diet after all, you know, yeah. eating fiber and, and 
you know, fermented foods. I mean, you know, uh, there are sort of things they talk about kefir and all this thing. But to be honest, I have, um, I just have yogurt. You know what I mean? It's so, you know, you don't have to be fancy is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, but just bearing that in mind that that can play a part in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. So I think... It sounds, I mean, it all sounds like really good practice anyway, but you sleep, just to recap, you sleep and you sleep hygiene, I think. Because I think mm-hmm. if you're having symptoms, it's a bit of a vicious cycle, isn't it? Absolutely. So it's a case of trying to manage what can you do to make sure you get enough sleep. Can you make your bedroom cool? Have you mm-hmm. any cooling strategies that you've got? Avoid caffeine potentially. Yeah, and late Have night it, stop training. Stop it earlier. Avoid late night training. And alcohol as well. We know that that has an impact Stimulate. on sleep. Um, and also, if you haven't read it already, there's a good book, um, Why Do We Sleep? Um, yeah. But it's yeah. Dr. Yeah. Matthew Walker. Yeah, yeah, it's excellent. Anyway, um, and the introduction is quite funny. It's like, I won't be offended. In fact, I feel I've done a good job if you sleep reading this. Anyway, but <laughs> the one thing I found, you know, sleep hygiene, all the things you mentioned, but the thing I wasn't doing, um, and I tried for a while, was actually putting on an alarm for bedtime. So we put an alarm for waking up in the morning, yeah. but actually having a routine yes. is quite fine. Um, you know, this is, my, this is my bedtime routine. I'm going yeah. to have my protein, my casein. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I don't know, whatever it is, um, read a book, listen to music. I'm not going to look at my computer. That's what I must, you know, yeah. and you know, I'm going to open my windows. And, you know, you, you put all of this um, yeah. into place and you try as far as possible to go to bed at a, a regular time. Yeah, that's super important. And yep. interestingly, in that book also, he does actually advocate having in the afternoon nap, which I think is quite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so again, if you're if you're uh, an older athlete, yeah, like me, uh, or older dancer, then you know, um, don't feel ashamed. It's like, oh, I'm weak. I need a little more rest, or or even an afternoon nap if you can. Yep. Of course, uh, you know. Uh, so very very important sleep. Um, yep. Really really crucial. And don't be afraid to experiment as well, by the sounds of it. Yes, you know, absolutely. Find that works for you. Um, yes, exactly. These are guidelines we're giving. So don't feel bad if, if, oh, my goodness, I'd never set an alarm for bedtime. It's like, it was just a suggestion. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Um, so just find out what works for you personally. Absolutely, that's the important thing. Did you take any other supplements, Nikki, in terms of magnesium or calcium or vitamin D or anything? Uh, vitamin extra? D, I would think everybody should take vitamin D. Since I did my cycle study when I found people were low, including my own son, which was slightly embarrassing, although that's because he went to Durham to, to university and then never seen the sun there. Anyway, so vitamin D, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I take it throughout the year, actually. A thousand yeah, international me units. Too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Public Health England say over the winter, but I think, listen, I would take it. Well, looking Not at the weather outside. No, no, exactly. I probably just take it all year round. And vitamin D is really great, apart from you know bone health and everything. Also, muscle recovery, by the way, immunity. Also, um, it has been shown to help with PMS, for example. Yep. Okay. Um, so definitely, vitamin D. I would. I think everyone should take that. Yeah. In terms of other vitamins and minerals, I think hopefully, uh, you know, if you're having a good varied diet, you don't really need them. But yep. vitamin D is definitely one I would. Um, and the magnesium spray, I actually find quite useful and it's well absorbed through the skin. So oh, you, you take are, it as a spray? Yeah, yeah, you can get it as a spray. It's something that's absorbed well through the skin. Yeah. So um, my mother was getting a lot of cramps at night and so she's got a magnesium spray with a bit of lavender in it and she puts it on her, on her calf muscles at night and it does really help. Oh, wow. So I think um, magnesium spray is, is also is on my list. Uh, things that I do but other than that I try to avoid fancy 
things because it's like, well, I don't... It's hard to know whether they work or not, isn't it? Well, exactly. And, and actually, yeah, it was better just to focus on the diet rather than... You, one can also get in the mindset sometimes, oh, I have to have... I had some people who were taking this whole list of things and they were getting stressed because I will oh, have I taken number 10 today it's like well I don't why you know so yeah. I think that's the other thing to bear in mind if you really uh, focus on the things that are important like the vitamin d yeah. yeah then and you get that right that's way more important than stressing about whether you've taken this whacking long list of expensive yeah, yeah. it adds up doesn't it as well ah, yeah exactly um, I guess another interesting question for you personally with your exercise and training was when you were going through perimenopause, if you had quite irregular or unpredictable cycles, how did that affect your approach to your training? Because I can imagine some people thinking, well, if I don't know when my next period's coming. I used to like to have my deload week the week before my period. Yeah, yeah, how how is, do I manage that? That is tricky. tricky. I mean, me personally, um, it was more the nature of the periods as far as I can remember. It was like, oh, it's very heavy. It's like, that's really weird. But then I realized it was an ovulatory anyway. So um, I didn't personally have so much problem with that um but you're right it is again it's tricky and there isn't a hard and fast thing to know but first of all is to confirm that this is perimenopause yeah go back to you know doing a mapping test for example yeah but, okay fine they are going to this is why they're irregular fine um i haven't got any really it's just to be flexible i think that's the thing knowing what it is that's what it is yeah. Uh, and just sort of you have to sort of go with it a bit and see what happens. Because, again, everyone's going to be so di different. Some women will have what you're saying. Very, very variable. Other women actually, you know, can go along quite regularly. And then it is, you know, OK, it's not so difficult to deal with. It does yeah. change relatively quickly. So, yeah, it really depends on the individual. So but I would just generally say, um, you know, we're women, we can sort things out, we can work it out, right? So you, so you, you know, you just have to be, flex I think flexibility yeah, is really absolutely. the key word that we need to be using here. Flexibility in terms of, yes, if you had planned to do it like this and now it's changed, it's like, yes, it's annoying, but that's just the way it's got to be. So just being aware, like you said, of your body and what's going on, yeah. uh, you just have to see what works for you. And not forcing it, I guess, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be tempted to think, oh, my God, that's really annoying, but I had this down. I have to do this. That's not going to help because then you're going to get really frustrated because then you're going to try and do what you said you were going to do, but actually now you're going to do it badly, yeah. potentially, and you're going to feel really frustrated. And I guess it so, might be a case of pulling away from that this week. This is what I planned. This mesocycle, this is what I planned. And, and maybe if it is really variable thinking right I'm just if I've got a coach or someone I'm talking to this month potentially this is what I'd want to try and get out of my climbing and my training rather than getting so focused and obsessed and so you sort of take a step back and yeah. look at, over a bigger picture absolutely um, because it, it's over several years so okay you didn't it didn't quite work out for that particular month yeah what you intended to do or what's down the paper or whatever you discuss yeah. with your coach but again that's if you have a coach absolutely explaining to the coach that right now we just have to be a little bit flexible in in things and, and figure out what's uh you know what's best for for the next you know it's not going to be forever yeah it's for you know uh four months maybe a few years even but it's not like oh this is for the rest of my life you know yeah 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 so are you back at, are you out the other end of it now would you say everything's sort of in a calmer more steady space yes exactly I mean uh, I'm taking my HRT I'm very happy with that and that's all good and so I'm definitely better although I guess I suppose if I'm being really really now you ask me this question 
I suppose I'm tending to be more anxious than I was before, but also that could also be because actually there is a lot of stuff going on. So again, it's one of those difficult things. I don't know whether it is genuinely because I'm more sensitive or whether actually, you know, there is a lot of work stuff and and, and going on and family stuff, you know, mother not so well. So it's difficult to distinguish, but overall I would say that um, I'm pretty happy with how I am in the sense that, um, I'm still doing my four ballet classes a week. Uh, I just went swimming in with my son. Um, I'm Well, I was going to say I'm going to play tennis with him. Obviously not today. But, you know, I can and I go around on my bike. So, you know, I I feel that I'm doing in exercise yeah. terms what I want to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that uh, it's so good so far. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, cool. Is there anything else you want to sort of mention to to everyone in terms of your experiences? I think we've we've covered a lot actually in this podcast, but is there anything else you'd want to add? The only other thing I wanted to say about HRT, which is a question I often get asked, is uh, how long should I be on HRT for? Mm. Right? And the honest answer again is there isn't a hard, fast thing. Um, You know, people quote, oh, maybe only five years, maybe 10 years. But again, um, going to the British Menopause Society, you know, conference, basically it's goes back to treat women as individuals, not statistics. Yeah. It will be very dependent on the woman. If you yeah. like me, all I can say is sitting here right now, I intend to take it <laughs> to my dying day, but my yeah. opinions might change. You see? Okay. Yeah. So if, you know, and all women over 50 have a five yearly mammograms, for example, yeah. So, and stuff like this. So if something did change, come up. Yeah. And obviously you would have to revise your opinion or you know whatever so you would have to go with it um but but i think um you know saying oh right you've had your quota now you've got to go back to feeling dreadful again i definitely think is not (laughs) what should happen it has to be for the individual when you come to whatever it is the five or ten year mark i'm not there yet i don't think no um then you know and i have a chat with the gp and they say oh i'm not sure about you know uh, and i'm just going to say well look i'm fine i'm feeling good and i've got no problem so i want to carry on then i think uh you know what i mean so it so that's to bear in mind um again it goes back to this flexible approach and it goes back to that quote which i love treat women as individuals not Not statistics statistics. there you go i think that's spot on thank you so much i think i think that's really good to know actually that as if you feel good on HRT and there's nothing that's suggesting that you should come off yeah, it. Yeah, have a discuss with your GP, of course, but if you put your point of view, it's your body after all, um, you know. Um, so the main thing is to discuss it and, and you know, in, in a discussion way, because I think yeah. lots of people think, oh, my GP said, no, I have to do this. It's like, well, you know what I mean? Just look at the information that there is and, yeah. and have, look on it as a discussion rather yeah. than... Uh, you know, you're being told what to do. And I guess don't be afraid to make that appointment because everyone feels like they're taking up precious time, but at the end of the day, it's your body. And, and it's your life. It's a function. <laughs> yeah. It's your quality of life. You know, yeah. no one else is going to look out for you and no one knows how you are feeling. Yeah. So, so. you know, unless you go and, and talk about it, um, you're not going to know. But I think that, you know, the work that the British Menopause Society are doing and they're trying to persuade the government that all women should have access to yep. discuss perimenopause at 45. I don't know if that will come through. And, you know, okay, the, yeah. uh, but uh, the point is it is being talked about more. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there are, there are many doctors like me who are members of the British Menopause Society. So, you know, again, I'm also available to 
you know, you can come and chat with me if you want, not as an alternative, not as a substitute for your GP. Yeah. But if you wanted to make an appointment, I talked about the appointments for the, yeah. uh, the blood test, but also I, I, I run a virtual clinic. So yeah. if people want to come and talk to me for them, you know, individual uh, about this and, and how to go about this discussion with your GP. I also give coaching classes. No, but you understand what I mean. Yeah. It, I, I'm sounding board and, um, you know, I will give you the time. Uh, and then so then you feel prepared for that conversation. Yeah. When you go to your GP, uh, where you have to go to get your HRT on the NHS, you see. So yeah. it, it does come down to you do have to talk to your GP. But if you are prepared or, or feel confident and calm and you know what's going on then that obviously makes that conversation more easy and also then you don't feel that thing about you're taking up time because you've kind of gone through it all in your own mind and yeah. frankly you're just putting the case yeah exactly the, you're making their life easy they'll be delighted they'll yeah. be delighted by the way gps will not be upset if you go in saying oh look i i've read this and i want to go on this they yeah. will be they will not going to be questioning you yeah. I mean if you say the British Menopause Society they won't obviously if you say in some other website maybe they would but you know I understand if you go in and you're genuine you've done your research you're informed you're you know they're going to be delighted because it saves their time it's like oh thank goodness the patient has like that's easy they don't have to go through yeah. all of this you see so try and bear that in mind as well absolutely and I guess if you don't get the response you're expecting after that then you do get a second opinion and well yeah well and most GP practices have uh, several doctors yeah right so um you know if there is a doctor that on the in the practice that is uh, often more like for the female stuff although actually I was very I was trying to be unbiased and when I made my appointment to say what I wanted for HRT or discuss HRT sorry um <laughs> I actually went to see the male GP so I knew was very very good excellent male GP and he was absolutely lovely because he absolutely admitted that he wasn't entirely au fait with all of this and so he was actually very happy that I said look I actually want you know uh, I want to uh, I want you to adjust and I want Sandrina gel thanks you know um, yeah. he was absolutely fine he was absolutely yeah. fine so I think you'll be surprised if you go in um, like that and discuss it with your GP ideally with one that maybe knows something about female but it, but again if you if on the other hand you did get one that's like whatever no just go away and take antidepressants and I don't know, whatever. Yeah, which, uh, is, then, which is not a solution, is it? <laughs> no, exactly. If you do get that, don't be disheartened. Yeah. Um, you know, come, I'll give you a coaching course or, um, or just go just see one of the other GPs in the practice because it's yeah. your prerogative to say which GP. You might have to wait a little bit longer, you know, yeah. um, but if it's a case of, you know, having that proper discussion, then that's probably worth it if you have to wait a few weeks, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's fabulous. Okay, so great. I'll, because you've given us loads of links and resources, so I'll make sure we definitely put that underneath for those that want to do more reading. And I think it sounds like you're definitely advocating, like everyone sort of should read up, basically use this podcast as a bit of a springboard yes, to learn exactly. more about their own bodies and read, in, read into it. But that's been brilliant. Thank you so much, Nikki. Cool, my pleasure.